Tēnā koea, no mai, haere mai, my name is Will Appleby and welcome to Animal Matters. Today on the show, I'm speaking with former undercover investigator Jeff Regeer. Jeff spent three years working as an undercover investigator for Mercy for Animals in Canada, working in farms and slaughterhouses. His work uncovered some of the worst examples of animal abuse in Canada's dairy industry and led to prison sentences for the workers and fines for their employers. Some observers at the time described the footage as the most severe cases of animal abuse they'd ever seen. I was interested in talking to Jeff to hear his story about what he had to go through to conduct his investigations. He's gained some interesting insights into what it's like for workers in these industries and shared with me some of his thoughts on the fallout that resulted from those investigations. Some of the subject matter we'll be discussing will include examples of animal cruelty that Jeff witnessed as an investigator. Some of this content you may find disturbing. So without further ado, here's my corridor with Jeff Regeer, former undercover investigator for Mercy for Animals. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for, for joining me on the show today. It's um, it's great to have you here with us. Yeah, well, I'm happy to be here. Um, so you grew up on a farm and you eventually left the farm and obviously became a vegan. And then eventually after that became an undercover investigator on, on factory farms. Tell us about that journey. How does one go from growing up on a farm to um, then investigating perhaps some of those farms later in life? Um, well, I, I guess as a, like I started out as a kid, like I was very much uh, an animal lover. Like that, that was my thing. That was my, my biggest passion. And I, I mean, I think everybody, most kids like animals, um, cute, cuddly animals. I think I probably was a little bit more obsessive about it than, than most kids. But yeah, I grew up on a small family farm, 10 acres. So like a, what I would call a true family farm, what most people actually imagine when someone says family farm. So like five cows, two pigs, 12 chickens, 10 sheep, like small family farm. And I loved it. I remember telling my dad um, or asking my dad, like saying like, hey, dad, we could fit more cows, more pigs, more sheep into the pens here on the farm. And I thought, oh, man, this would be awesome. There'd be, there'd be more animals for me to hang out with. Obviously, at the time, I wasn't really thinking about the interest of the animals. It was about me and how the animals made me feel when I was around them. Incidentally, like I also like I lived almost across the street from the Greater Vancouver Zoo. And when I was 12, so I started volunteering there, eventually working there. And needless to say, my, my position on confining animals for the sake of entertainment has changed since I was 12. But yeah, that, that's how it all started. Uh, it wasn't until much, much later, like I lived on the farm for the first 15 years of my life. It wasn't until I, I suppose I was 24 at when I was 24 when I went vegetarian and really it was, it was like part of a uh, kind of a self-improvement project. I, at the time, I wasn't doing anything to feel good about myself as a human being. And for whatever reason, the idea of going vegetarian popped into my head because I understood, like, I think, I think everybody understands like, okay, you're eating meat, something not nice had to happen to an animal before I ate that animal. And it's not quite fair. Uh, I'll try, I'll try going vegetarian. And so I did and barely stuck with it. I would say I told my friends that I was going vegetarian and, and they said, Oh yeah, right. You're going to be eating meat and again in a couple of weeks. And if they hadn't said that, they might have been right. 
Like, I remember the first barbecue I went to, everyone was eating, like, just a regular hamburger. And, like, I ate a bun with, like, mayo, cheese, and ketchup on it, and it sucked. And I was wishing, like, oh, man, why did I tell anybody that I that I was going vegetarian? And I was, because I was like, oh, I could, I could sneak back into the non-vegetarian ranks, and no one would know. But I stuck with it, probably mostly for my, my own ego. And it wasn't until three years later that I stumbled across the film Earthlings. And that dramatically changed my perspective and the way I saw the whole thing. Because when I was vegetarian, it was about me and my identity. And I like I want to feel good about myself as a human being. And hey, if, if it works out, great. If you fail, you just let yourself down. No big deal. But after watching Earthlings, the film Earthlings just puts things explains well our relationship to to animals and life on the planet and really puts things in um in perspective in a more articulate and clear way than i think i've ever heard anyone express before and after watching earthlings i well i went vegan immediately and and it was easy it was actually way easier than going vegetarian and i believe it's just because of the, the perspective shift like if i failed at being vegetarian just letting myself down, no big deal. But if I fail at being vegan, after taking on this the, the perspective from the film Earthlings, I'm not just letting myself down. I'm letting animals down in the worst possible way, and that's like that's a big deal. And just just with that different perspective and mindset, it made being vegan much easier. And so I suppose after after being vegan for a year, maybe a little less, I started getting involved in the animal rights community here in Vancouver. Um, I, like, I didn't know any vegans at the time I went vegan, but I just looked online and I found a group called Liberation BC that was in Vancouver and went out to one of their volunteer nights and soon joined their the, the board of the organization, just actually really for a brief period of time. And the group, Liberation BC, they used to put on these, um, animal, animal advocacy camp events, like a weekend, weekend all day event. And this year they, one of the guest speakers was Twyla Francois. And so she was a, she, at the time she was the director of undercover investigations for Mercy for Animals Canada. And for whatever reason, she said to me, you know what, Jeff, I think you'd make a good undercover investigator. I expect that. She probably just says that to a lot of people, and <laughs> there probably wasn't much reason to think that I was would be good or bad at the job itself. But she said it, and, and I said, "Nope, I can't do it." Like I saw, I watched Earthlings. I couldn't imagine working in a slaughterhouse or, or in a commercial farm. Like I, I grew up on a farm, and yeah, there were some not nice things I saw, but I'd never seen inside a slaughterhouse. Uh, well, in real life, and I'd virtually never seen inside like even a commercial farm in real life. And so I said, no, I can't do it. I'm too sensitive. Uh, I'd be terrible at the job. It's, it's, somebody else can do it. And But before the, the the animal advocacy camp was over, she gave me a, a spiel about the enormous impact that, that you could have and like the number of people you can reach. And I still said no. But after, I suppose, a couple of weeks of thinking about it, uh, I got more comfortable with the idea. And then, then I discovered, you know, what? I think I really do want to do undercover investigations so um yeah from there like i sent her an email and um talked back and forth and uh and yeah and that's how it all began how was what was your first kind of project or your first kind of investigation after that uh the first one the first one was actually probably the, the biggest one and it was at a dairy farm here in bc it was as it, as it turns out it was actually like the biggest dairy farm in canada i didn't know that at the time 
um, at the time. It was just like a random job that I applied for. Like at the time, it did like working there. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, working there, I wasn't under the impression that it was going to be as big or as compelling as an investigation that it was. Like it was uh, a national and I, and to some degree an international news story. But at the time of the investigation, I thought. Like, as it was finishing, I was like, yeah, like, you filmed some stuff here, but I don't know how compelling it is. And I, mean, I think this really this really speaks to the kind of desensitization that hap- well, happens regularly and, and shockingly quickly on in that environment in on farms and in slaughterhouses. So, like, if you were to look up, like, the footage that was released, you it would really actually show you very little about the dairy industry. Like, I think, like, we're all familiar with, like, kind of the release animal rights activists are pretty familiar with the cruelty that's inherent in dairy production, meaning like forcibly impregnating mother cows, taking their babies from them, uh, selectively breeding cows to just produce enormous unnatural quantities of milk, taking the babies away, killing the boys. And then after say four to six years of milk production, rewarding those mother cows with a trip to the slaughterhouse, hung upside down, throat slit. Like that's, that's standard dairy production, even on the nicest Humane certified, grass-fed, free-range, organic farm. But you you won't see it, won't see any of that in the investigation footage. But what you'll see is you'll see workers feeding cows with canes provided by the farm for the purpose of beating cows. I, I should say, they, and they're used to like just to force cows into the milking parlor. At this dairy, they had a 72 cow rotary parlor, which is basically like it looks like a giant merry-go-round with 72 stalls on it, and so you, you can milk. 72 cows at a time. And um, sometimes the cows don't want to get onto the parlor for whatever reason. Maybe maybe they have mastitis and it's painful. Maybe they're not familiar with it and they're afraid of it. Uh, whatever the reason, sometimes they don't want to go. So they're they're forced onto the milking parlor by being beaten with cane. So there was that. There was cows on dairy farms um, have a lot of infected abscesses on their legs. And it's because cows on... I mean, they sit on concrete a lot of the time. Uh, at this farm, most of the time, they never went outside. And so there's just abrasion on the back of their legs. It opens the skin and it gets infected with strains of Staphylococcus bacteria and gets infected. So you'd see the like infections oozing and like, I mean, the workers, uh, sometimes they'd squeeze the, the swollen legs and make the pus squirt out. Like something like there'd be like excrement on their fur and tails. So sometimes they'd pull chunks of dried manure and fur off their tails and, and just throwing at each other. Sometimes the cows would collapse in, in the milking parlor. Like if they collapse outside of the parlor, they can be like, you can scoop them up with a machine and move them that way. But if they're in the milking parlor, you can't like bring a machine in there to, to scoop them up. So what they, what they would do first, first they would attempt to get the cow to stand up by like beating them and like stomping on their heads kicking them, botching them, like kinking their tail, that kind of thing. And and sometimes it worked. But when that didn't work, because the cow really just could not get up, even even with that kind of cruel external motivation, they'd bring the tractor around and hook a chain up around the, the cow's neck and then hook the other end of the chain up to um, the tractor bucket and pick the cow up by its neck so the cow would be suspended in the air for a brief period of time and pulled out of the, the parlor. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's like that's most of what you would see uh, if you were to look up the the film. What was the decision making process to to look into that from? Um, I'm assuming 
you were guided along by Mercy for Animals, would you just apply for a job there and, and hope for the best? Um, were there specific farms or, or factories that you were trying to, to look into? So like a lot of people think and, and or assume that maybe, maybe Mercy for Animals received a tip or something. Oh, there's this really bad farm. It's a really cruel farm. And you gotta, you gotta have somebody go there and film because that farm must be really, is supposedly really bad, but that's not how it works. There are no tips. No farms are targeted. It's random. It's whatever jobs happen to be available. You just look for job postings and, and throw a bunch of resumes around and whoever hires you, that's where you, that's where you do an investigation. It's interesting. It's, it's really, it's sad and disappointing the way that it's, that, that it's perceived that way. Like even the media stories that came out about the farm after the investigation broke, the headlines read things like Canada's most notorious dairy. And while that's theoretically possible, uh, I'd say it's highly, highly unlikely at the time and maybe still true to, to today. Like this is the only dairy farm I'm aware of that has ever been investigated in Canada ever that I'm aware of. And so it was, it was one farm for one, one random like 30 days at that farm, one shift of one random 30 days and one small area of one shift of one random 30 days of one farm in all of Canada. And we just happened to stumble across the most notorious dairy farm in all of Canada. I'd say it's unlikely. It sounds like it, it, it was like any other job. So could you live at least somewhat of a normal life outside of that job? What was your, yeah, what was it like personally for you during that time? Before, before doing the job, I imagined the difficult part would be emotional. It'd be like difficult for the reasons that I didn't want to do investigations initially, like um, being exposed to like the animal suffering and cruelty. Um, I imagine it'd be difficult. Maybe I'd have some kind of emotional breakdown or maybe I would, I'd lose it on somebody who was um, being vicious to an animal. Like that's, that's what I imagined it would be like. But when I was actually doing the job, it wasn't like that at all. You get desensitized shockingly quickly. So it's, for me, and I, and I think the same is probably true. I think most other investigators would say the same that, that, yeah, you get desensitized very quickly. And that's not the hard part about the job. The hardest part was, um, being isolated and not being able to live a normal life. Like your, your friends don't know what you're doing and you just kind of disappeared and you don't, um, like you don't, you don't go and, uh, hang out with your friends on the weekend. You're like, you're, you're probably not even living in the same city that, that you grew up in where, you know, people. And so like you're working five days a week and those five days are, are packed. You're working at least eight hours, maybe 10, maybe 12 hours on the farm. And then, and then there's the work, other work associated with investigations a little bit before your shift. And then more after um, when you get home. So there's just enough time to, to eat something, pick up some something to eat on the way home, do your work, and then go to bed and start all over again. It's a very demanding job and difficult that way. But I, the most difficult part, I think, was for me was not having my social needs met. Kind of the things that I suppose normally I would take for granted. I wouldn't realize uh, how much um, I'd need that kind of social interaction with friends. Uh, to feel like healthy psychologically like you obviously you interact with people at work on the job it's not the kind of interaction like you would with friends obviously you're not 
you don't, you can't really have real conversations um, with the people that you're working with. So that, yeah, that was the most difficult part. What, what, how many, well, how many farms did you investigate? It depends how, how you look at it. Um, like I worked on probably, you, you, could, you could say like between 50, 50 plus farms, but uh, a more accurate way of looking at it is how many companies did I work for? Because that's a much smaller number. Uh, and so like I've like five, I did five investigations. So with five, five different companies. For how long were you, were you separated from, you know, your family and friends? Could you even talk to them? Um, you obviously couldn't tell them what you were doing, but could you have contact with them? No, I guess like my, like my parents and my immediate family knew in a, in a general sense what I was doing. Like they wouldn't know where I was working or like not necessarily, they wouldn't necessarily know where in the country I was, but they knew. And so, I mean, I could, I suppose I could send them like emails outside of my family. Um, nobody would have known. Coming back to your life, so to speak, after all of this ended, was there kind of an adjustment period? What was that process like? Well, the reason, like when I came back, like after I retired from investigations, like I took, I took some time off and really it was quite a while ago now. Like, um, I don't have a, a particularly clear memory of that period of time, but I, I imagine like immediately after investigations, I, I was at my parents' house and yeah, wasn't working. It wasn't working like a, a Monday to Friday job or anything. And, and was just, I suppose, taking stock and evaluating my life and trying to determine like, what, what am I going to do from here, from here on out? Like uh, the group Mercy for Animals, they offer counseling and therapy, uh, like all of that, that kind of stuff is made available to undercover investigators. I didn't personally do any of that myself. Like, I mean, I was at the time that I quit, I was kind of, I was like tired and I was depressed, but, um, but yeah, I guess, I mean, taking, doing the counseling just wasn't, I didn't feel like I needed it and I didn't, um, but it was, it was all made available to me though. So your investigations, you've investigated five companies. Some of those have led to, you know, pretty high profile, um, cases from the outside. It's easy to say it was absolutely worth it. And I, you know, I, I, I commend you for the work that you've done, but you personally, does it, do you have any regrets? Do you, are you glad that you did it? Um, how do you look back on that period of your life now? I'm glad that I did it for sure. I'm pretty well certain that like, if I could go back in time that I would do it again, the, and there, there are aspects of it that I didn't like very much. I was pretty close to quitting after the first investigation. And that's, that was because I felt felt actually really bad for the the workers who were being charged like before going before doing investigations and seeing undercover footage and seeing people being doing being cruel towards animals I mean I had the question in my head like how could somebody be so evil like these must be the most vile people that's that was a thought that I had and then working there working next to them you discover that they're just like you they're otherwise nice normal people uh, they'll hold the door open for you. They'll cover your shift if you need it. Like, they, I mean, they're victims of desensitization. But what, and the, like, I'm not obviously um, justifying what they did to animals or the, that kind of treatment towards animals, but it must have been, I can only imagine how difficult it was for them after the fact, after they were, like, their faces are on national media and the public is reacting in ways that you would you'd expect. They're outraged at uh, outraged at them, and 
nobody would know no would no one would be able to see them for like the people that they really were like they i mean they, they did jail time there were i think there were seven seven workers charged and six of them did jail time uh and then also um the owners of the company were charged as well but to i mean i can only imagine what it would have felt like for them how disruptive it would have been in their lives to put it mildly for them to be looked at the, the way I'm sure people looked at them and like to be like, they went to court and like they were handcuffed. Like, I mean, that strikes me as just so, so difficult. And the reality is um, like, if it was, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have um, sent any of them to prison. Like they had, they had no idea that they were, they were, committing criminal animal abuse like when this goes for like any of the abuse that you see or at least that i saw in, in, at any investigation like they're not looking both ways to see if someone's going to catch them doing committing these kind these this animal cruelty they have no idea that that it's criminal animal abuse and really it it's it shouldn't be surprising because when you compare the types of cruelty that they were charged for like say, beating a cow with a cane or kicking them and punching them, whatever it is, when you compare that to the type of cruelty that is just inherent in the industry, whether it's castrating animals, cutting their tails off, cutting the ends of their beaks off, whatever whatever it is, like the criminal stuff is mild in comparison to the, the cruelty that's inherent in the industry. Like, I mean, just ask yourself the question, would you rather have your body parts cut off or would you rather have someone punch you or kick you? I'd rather be punched or kicked, yet... You, you put a humane certified stamp on the on an animal's body that has had their body parts cut off and you send somebody to, somebody to prison um, for punching and kicking them. Hmm. Do you feel like um, the, the operators of these companies perhaps weren't held to the same degree of scrutiny as the workers? Obviously, the workers were, 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 were prosecuted and some went to prison. Do you feel like the owners and the operators of, of these companies had to pay their fair share of the of the price, so to speak? Uh, no, definitely not. Um, hmm. uh, they were charged with the maximum allowable monetary fine, which um, I just looked it up today just to make sure I had the number straight, and which I believe was um, all in all was $345,000. And one of the owners was, like, I think for like a year or something, like he was not allowed to be working with the animals unsupervised or something, something along those lines. But I think if it was me, the worst part wouldn't have been necessarily serving the jail time, but just, just having your reputation demolished and to be viewed the way that you were viewed and to have the whole country outraged at you and without being able to people, without people understanding what it was like for them and without people understanding that if they were in their position, they would probably be doing the exact same thing. I think if I, if you were to switch, if I was to be in their environments and yeah, if you just changed my life um, situation just a little bit, I could easily have been any one of them, almost any one of them. And so I think the owners did not get that, which, and I think that is the worst, but as a general rule, like the industry strategy after an investigation breaks is to say, Oh, we had no idea that this was happening in our farm or facility. And we're, we're just as shocked as you are. Um, we're taking this seriously. We're going to fire these terrible low level employees because yes, we agree they're, they're awful. 
and this is all this is all public relations is to stay faced with uh with the public with con- with consumers and this is this is what you see every time any investigation breaks yeah that was my next question whether the workers really became scapegoats because it's a, it's a classic play isn't it from i mean we, we see her all here all the time whenever there's instances of cruelty there'll be the people with most to lose which is the the companies the organization the owners will say things like it's a minority um this doesn't normally happen we're shocked um, and I did wonder whether some of those workers had really become scapegoats and, and thrown under the bus a little bit by the companies that were that had created the system where these workers could become desensitized, where there was no strict protocol that could ensure things like that wouldn't happen. Um, yeah, it's I think slaughterhouse workers get a little bit of a bad rap in the animal rights movement. And. I think it's easy to forget sometimes, and I think you, you've touched on a lot of this quite well, that they're just people like most of us. A lot of them are very low paid, and they're just as much as, well, not just as much, but they're really victims themselves of this, you know, systemic cruelty in the, in the industry. Yeah, I mean, like, they're, they're not good jobs. It's not like these people are doing something cruel and so they can just make a ton of money. Like, the jobs suck. They're the worst jobs those are the worst jobs I've had. And like they're making minimum wage. It's not like they're, there's some kind of moral compromise where they're going to do something, they're doing something cruel so they can make all of this money. Cause that's not what's happening. That's what, that's what's happening with the, like the owners. And actually, especially with this, um, with the dairy case, it's interesting. Like on the one hand, like the owners, uh, yeah, they throw the low level workers under the bus to save face with, uh, with consumers. But at the same time, after just shitting all over them in the media behind behind closed doors, they the owners paid for all the lawyers of the people that they just spoke so poorly of. Mm-hmm. And you, you might ask, like, well, why would they do that? Um, should they be upset with the these people, these workers that are supposedly responsible for this? And the reason is because those workers they know way more about the extent of the cruelty that happens on the farm than I do. And the owners of the farm, they want to make sure that those employees do not testify against them. Because I just got the, just the tiniest glimpse of what happens there. Um, people who have been working there for years would know way more than what I saw in 30 days. Jeff, it's been a, an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Um, it, it's not often you get to talk to someone who's done you know, undercover investigations like this. Um, and you know, I think the contribution, the personal sacrifice you've made to to expose some of this cruelty is is massive. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time time out of your day to chat with us. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely welcome. Thank you for listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation, and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to stay across Animal Matters on whatever your favourite podcast platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. Until next time, Mateo Wild.